Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Sydney Campos as a guest. Sydney is a visionary, intuitive advisor, business strategy expert, and best-selling author of the Empath Experience, What to Do When You Feel Everything. She's the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Ascent and host of the acclaimed Visionary Souls podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Maybe we can start with the whole theme of honoring your intuition which we talked a little bit just before this podcast about the fact that you felt a bit angry about the fact of some people mm-hmm. maybe not honoring their inner wisdom and intuition. It's great to be here. Thank you. You know, yeah, angry. <laughs> there were a lot of layers coming up the last few days. I noticed just some like frustration and irritation around the state of the world, the state of humanity, the state of authoritarian structures, which... In a lot of ways, we see are shifting, are falling apart, or dismantling, and we know we know that this is the time that we came for. You know, we know that this is inevitable in a way that this is part of the rebirth process that you know must happen in order to reimagine the kind of world and society and social structures that actually support a thriving humanity. And yet, we're in this really kind of awkward moment where it's just this cauldron of, you know, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of like mass hysteria, it feels like at times. And personally, I've just been kind of watching the show, you know, ever since all of the pandemic started unfolding, but pretty much right when that all occurred, I, I felt in my system, like, this is wrong. How is this being announced to the world? And then so quickly, there's a medical solution that was almost like prepared ahead of time. Like the whole time, it just has felt very off to me. And I see the story playing out of the news media and, you know, the whole game playing out external. But internally, this whole situation has always felt very suspicious. And that's what I want to explore today is like this urgent call I feel for all of us now to really tune in to our inner knowing, to our intuitive knowing, to our ability to see and sense beyond the unseen, beyond the unsaid. And there's really this like training that's happening, I feel, for all of humanity to determine their own best course of action, their own best course of choice points regardless of what anyone is being told what to do, regardless of what is being mandated. This is part of the shift that is required to enter into the new kind of social fabric that you know we came here to enjoy, that we came here to receive. This new society that I feel is, is birthing, it's requiring us to actually trust ourselves, to listen to ourselves, to collaborate in new ways, to wake up essentially, to wake up from being told what to do and what's it going to take? Does it take being agitated and frustrated and you know irritated out of the, the stupor of listening to these authoritarian bodies that are using a lot of fear to control people? Or can it take like the simple inclination to want to take better care of oneself and want to cultivate more intimacy with oneself and learn to trust and learn to listen and learn to prioritize what you feel is true for you over what anybody else is saying. And that's what I would love to explore with you today. You're more an intuitive spiritual person, let's say, if you can call it that way. I'm more of a rational, heady person. But I was looking at the numbers back in March and I says like, whoa, these measures don't make any sense at all, given the actual threat. But also on an intuitive level, most people felt like, well, something is off about this approach. Something seems being pushed and being forced, etc. But I would love to have this talk about it. And I feel there's spiritual bypassing and spiritual correctness in the spiritual community of just silently condoning everything, letting it pass over them without taking some aligned action. 
And then I see some yoga teachers talking about letting the beautiful prana, let go and connect. And they're the first one to put on a mask and disconnect mm-hmm. from people. I'm like, what are you doing? You're teaching one thing and then you're practicing another thing. Like, why are you not standing up? Mm-hmm. Why are you very disappointed in a lot of people in this industry to, to act this mm-hmm. way? Yeah, I understand. There have been so many awkward, subtle moments like out in the world, how we're trained to to perform, how we're trained to engage, how we're, you know, so immediately all the stores and all of the the signs that would say like, wear a mask and six feet apart and just, and like so quickly Mm -hmm. and without even questioning it. I, I watched myself, I would watch myself frequently as this all started to unfold, putting my mask on, even though every single time I really didn't want to. I live in Hawaii where there's the cleanest air in the world and it's like like the best builder of immunity. And I'm like, this feels like it's doing absolutely nothing if there even is a threat of any kind. And yet I would watch myself just follow the rules. And so many subtle social cues would come up of like, like I have to do this. What are people going to think if I don't? This is like threat, putting me in a position of threatening like a business owner's safety and and having their business succeed. It almost is like all of these different mandates are Mm. positioned to disempower us from being able to even make our own choices because there's all of these threats in place that if we don't follow suit, we're like the bad guy that puts somebody else's livelihood in jeopardy or, you know, hurts someone. And there's, there's just all of this fear. and. It is so challenging. I could imagine for the average person and even me too, sometimes to see through that and to feel that empowerment of like, wait a minute, like this isn't right. This doesn't feel right to me. And like, can we have a, a, some kind of an agreement to do something else, you know? And God, I just feel like all of the world is really giving us that invitation. Like, can we do something else? Like, could we, create a little, even not even a critical mass of the majority of people, but just like 1%, you know, of humanity, two, 3% and agree like, Hey, you know what, in our community, and we do see this popping up, I think in certain places, little pockets of the world, like, you know, this isn't working for us as a community. We know what's right for us. And here's what we want to do. Here's what we agree to, you know, and this is how we're going to take care of ourselves. And yeah, for me, the, I, the, the, I the action, for me, the, the, the essence is destroying connection, connection with your wisdom, connection between people, connection with nature. And I'm asking myself, what is the success indicator of this approach? Nobody can become ill. There can't be any deaths anymore. What is the success indicator here? When do we know that we conquered it? Or are we really pushing a lifestyle here in a view of humanity that is not about avoiding deaths, but about killing livelihoods and aliveness in people and feeling alive Mm -hmm. in people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, there's so much symbolism, even with wearing a mask. I thought that Mm -hmm. that was one of the funniest things when this whole thing started. I'm like, like energy on an energetic standpoint, I felt like all of 2020 was about going in and doing really deep work, partially supported by the pandemic, you know, you couldn't, you had to like be at home and really be with yourself and slow down. And a lot of positives arose from that. A lot of wake up, you know, waking up uh, was catalyzed from that. But then the symbolism of wearing a mask, like hiding, you know, it's like we're energetically taking off all the masks and getting more into our authenticity and who we really are. But then out in the world, we have to literally it's like the last little respite of control that these authority structures are like placing upon us. Like, no, you can't be yourself. No, you can't be seen. It's not safe to be intimate. It's not safe to be in connection. Taking away this gift of human Sid- connection. and Plus, Sydney, it's just the fact like if you wouldn't turn on the media, if you wouldn't see the symbol of a sick society, moral, socially sick society, would you even notice that is a, between brackets pandemic. What kind of a weird pandemic is this? If I would go to any pandemic in history, I would see like, oh my God, he died. Have he died? Oh my God, he died. Have you seen that corpse rotting there in the street? Oh my God, it's amazing. They're they're stacking the corpses on each other. Oh my God, the crematorium are full. What kind of a weird pandemic is this that supposedly is so deadly and then it doesn't really show up in my reality besides the on the programs, programming on TV, then the narrative seems to act like it's the Black Plague. 
and it's less than the previous one, the Mexican flu or other flus, way less. And they didn't inject everyone. They didn't do this approach, but now they do it. While the flu has disappeared also magically, by the way. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I think that some of the statistics of the flu have been misappropriated and rebranded accordingly, you know, to support this whole initiative underway. And, you know, but I, I just get so curious about, again, these like subtleties. It's like, yeah, same year. It's not really in my direct experience that, mm-hmm. you know, surrounded by really healthy people, even the people that I've known who have contracted whatever the thing is. They've healed and they've, they've been, they, you know, they've healed and they're now fine and have immunity. I call it COVID-1984. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but then, so these subtleties though, it's like everything's coming up to give us these opportunities to make new choices and to really check our programming and to check the way that we're trained to behave, especially in relationships. You know, like I notice. For me, what comes up is like somebody who I care about, like my business partner, someone that I like really respect and I'm in collaboration with, they have a different viewpoint and they're living in a different part of the world where it does feel like it's impacting them more. You know, like New York City, for example, very different experience of a lot of tension, a lot of stress, a lot more tight uptightness and things shutting down. And, and I guess somebody's experience was seeing like bodies you know, being carried out of buildings or something like that, very dramatic and really traumatic. And this is someone I love and respect, and this is their experience. And then it's like, how can I have compassion for that person and respect their experience and even like hold space for whatever grieving they're going through, but not allow that experience to change how I feel? Like, Mm -hmm. well, my reality is completely different and my choices can be completely different. And I'm not going to subscribe to a narrative that's telling me what to believe and how to live and what to be afraid of and taking my fundamental human rights away. I'm just wondering how people, I mean, not wondering, you also know this through the whole industry, like that the biggest killer of people is lifestyle illnesses, depression, loneliness, uh, suicide, anxiety, disconnection has never been so big, even though our technology went up. But how can people disconnect so much from their heart, from their intuition, Mm -hmm. from their body wisdom? I mean, we're really talking about people being willing to sacrifice their body's autonomy and civil rights. And some people just to get a cocktail to be able to just go away on a vacation because they needed so much to escape from their regular lives. How can people Mm -hmm. value those things so lightly or don't honor that wisdom, I wonder? This is like a huge premise of everything that I am here to do with my life and everything I've ever created is kind of seeking to explore and answer and provide support around that inquiry. Like why? And and what I find again and again is that there's a fear of one's power. If we were to really feel, if we were to really allow ourselves to feel our body's direction, which is very clear, like our body is a pure instrument for conducting the truth, <laughs> transmitting the truth. Sometimes people feel chills. You know, I, I feel like we're meant to be constantly in that state of awareness. Like our body and our energy field are attuned to truth or not truth. Like it's that simple and we can feel it far faster than the mind can process things. Like the body will, uh, you know, react, respond immediately to something that is true or resonant or good for you or not. You mean your personal truth, right? Your personal truth, not necessarily a truth for everyone, right? Well, exactly. And that's part of what we're learning, you know, like, because we've been taught for so long through all of the different iterations of governance systems and, you know, patriarchy and just all of the systems of authoritarianism, right, have have really fundamentally been structured from the get-go. And I mean, for centuries, right? to disempower people from being in their body, from being in their heart, from being able to feel, right? We've been like systematically overly intellectualized for many, many, many generations. This has been programmed in our biology to be like, you know, kind of up here. Our whole world is designed this way. And the energetic shift underway that I kind of feel the pandemic is a great catalyst for is like, okay, okay, rational thinkers, okay, intellects, like, 
here's the story, but it's just so, it's like such a cognitive dissonance. Like everything that's playing out on the world theater and the, you know, material form is like, what is it going to take, right? For you to be like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. And then finally feel, well, okay, if this makes no sense, what is my true understanding of reality? And we're all, the, the beautiful thing is when it comes to our unique truth, we're all making it up anyway, right? Like there's no one truth. There's no one reality. We're all each here experiencing our own expression of that. And we're learning what is it like to hold my truth, to have my understanding, and also be in connection with other people that have a totally different understanding and a different truth. And to not make that mean anything. You know, what you believe is your thing. I don't need to you know, be dependent upon like an agreement with you in order to feel secure, in order to be in relationship, in order to whatever, all of these distorted values have been also conditioned, I feel, for many, many generations around like, again, it all comes down to fear, doesn't it? Like, if I don't agree with the status quo, if I don't believe what, you know, everybody else believes, I'm not going to be safe. I'm going to die. I'm going to be kicked out of the tribe. I'm going to be excommunicated. I'm not going to be successful. All the things, you know, that's like, that's what we're here to break. But it's this really intimate journey of like, wow, it brings up our own worthiness, our, you know, self-esteem, our relationship to ourselves. Like, do we believe ourselves really worthy of having a unique truth, of expressing our authentic voice, of standing out from the crowd? Like, do we have that inner security and stability built? Most people, not really. We're like learning, we're learning what we really got to work with. And that's very vulnerable. This is completely my mission, right? My mission is to create rebels with a cause who take personal responsibility, speak their truth and make an impact in that order. And the impact is first themselves, then their family and friends, and then the world. But you need to honor the connection. And the connection is always something you choose to feed and that connects you to things. But I feel there's no connection right now. You're forced to be a servant or to submit to an authority who tells mm. you what to do. And you can ask like a child, why? Because I tell you to, because I'm right. Yeah, but why? No, because it's, the, it's that way. And it will always be that way. Like, how is this a relationship? You just need to subjugate yourself, just kneel and then just swallow. Because in the end, mm. speaking your truth maybe comes from intuition or bodily wisdom. And what's the powerful vessel that you're incarnated in this world? It's your body. So if you boost your immune system, if you have your personal power, your personal strength, you're fulfilled, you're happy, you have a meaningful life, that's the best way to protect you against illnesses. And what do they do right Mm -hmm. now? A symptom approach where they make you more sick, more anxious, more obese, more lonely, more stressed, and you give away all the power to a solution you maybe have to take every six months while weakening your own mind and body. How does this Mm -hmm. make sense? If it really was about hospital beds, that's the intellectual thinker, Build more hospital beds, train more hospital staff. Don't knock on people for the Xavine and say like, have you took it? Go every door and say like, have you eaten a healthy meal? Have you meditated? Have you Mm -hmm. exercised? Okay, we're going to make money so you create a better immune system and a better lifestyle. We're going to invest, put the power in the people. They do the exact opposite. Well, that's why this whole thing has been so fascinating because it has been a direct attack on the body and, and to, you know, based on a fear of your body being attacked, but it's really like, that's not actually what's happening. It's, but then it's created this whole container where, you know, it's like, here, take my body, do whatever you want. Like, you know, it's like the ultimate expression of giving one's power away. And I feel a little bit exhausted by it at times, just like it was coming up for me in the last few days I was sharing with you, like, I've managed to stay pretty, you know, like sovereign in my practices and my fields and my collaborations. It just doesn't weigh me down normally. But what I've, I did allow some of the frustration. I think this is part of the process, actually. I think that's what I was integrating is like, wait a minute, like, I am mad about this. I am frustrated about what's happening. Like, have I been bypassing my anger around this to just like, you know, tune out and disconnect because it's uncomfortable to confront, you know, and that was vulnerable to feel like, oh, how have I been bypassing this? How have I not been speaking up? Is there something else that I want to say? Is there something that I'm not doing? Is it maybe also linked with what you said? Like, am I bypassing? In a way, we want to, and, and this is also stage one, sometimes look in the light and looking for the positive and that's affirming the positive and that's more the ABM Hicks kind of approach. But I also want to integrate the shadow. I want to shed light on the shadow. I want to see the 
the other aspects in life that can help me develop a meaningful life, which is also through negative emotions or emotions that, you know, show up some other sides of the spectrum, help me be more humane and help me be more meaningful. And on a macro level, what are we not willing to face as society right now? Illness and death. It seems like, oh yeah. my God, illness and death, that can be, we have to bypass it, we have to conquer it through transhumanism and technology because it cannot be there. But it's a part of life. <laughs> yeah. So distorted though, our relationship. Again, I think part of this, like over the last few centuries, programming of the hyper-intellectual and linear and these authoritarian, you know, hierarchical governance structures that have, I mean, systematically, they've been designed to disempower people from their body, from their feeling, from their intuition, you know, it's just, and we've been so disconnected from nature. That's been a part of the whole thread too. It's like total disconnection from nature, disconnection from the elements. And when we look at native societies and, you know, societies more connected with the land, there's a much healthier understanding of death as a cycle of life. It's just, it's a continuum. There's not, on another level, what's kind of been fun to look at is like, of course, everyone's freaking out about death and it's bringing up all of our shadows about attachments to life and, you know, survive, all of our survival stuff is agitated because this is where we're at collectively. Like we have to do the collective healing on this like ego, on the ego, basically, like there needs to be an ego death. The ego doesn't register an ego death, a death of personality, identity, attachments from a physical death. And that's kind of the blessing of this whole thing is like catalyzing everybody to come to terms if they choose with this, you know, like reality that, yeah, you're an infinite being. Like you're not here to be in fear. You're not here to be afraid of, of dying, you know? And actually on the other side of that is like, what it actually brings up, if you get really honest about whether or not you're afraid of dying, what usually comes up is like, you're afraid of, of not having fully lived. Usually you find that, well, at least for me, it's like, you know, I'm good. I could die tomorrow. Like I'm complete. I did everything I'm here to do. I'm at peace. But there can be a fear of death. And there's so much attachment to one's identity and personality when there's a feeling of deep unfulfillment at not having really lived at not having really accomplished and showed up fully for the impact that one is here to have. And that's what so many are being confronted with. They're like, not only have I given all my power away and I'm going to continue to, and just shut down and be in the fear and like drink the Kool-Aid and promote the propaganda, but that's like a superficial layer covering up this, I think deeper experience, which is, I don't know who I am and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm here for. And I'm really afraid because I don't even know how to make a choice that's for myself. There needs to be an admission of this, I feel, for people to be like, yeah, I really don't know. I don't know, but I want to learn and I want to understand and I want to stop giving my power away. And I want to know myself and claim my place because we all have a place here. We're not here by mistake. It's not random. These are the deeper levels of inquiry that I think need to happen beneath this whole fear distraction game that people are just wait, frankly, waiting. I'm like, what are you waiting for? Like, we're just waiting, just wait for the next like directive to come through. It's like, how long are you going to wait? <laughs> I think they offered the false comfort of endless choices as a way for people to actually numb their existential anxiety to go deeper on what they're here for. And the endless choices and comfort that technology keeps them busy, keeps them occupied from actually facing that inner void or that inner potential that plays with tension and that's under the surface. And people find it very difficult to deal with tension, changing their identity, changing their beliefs. So they rather numb it than going through that journey to the underworld and come back stronger mm -hmm. with a shadow attached that can also whisper some advice in their ear on how to become a better person. Right. It's a fear of confronting one's power and actual essence and actual potential to create, to create something new, which I really believe each and every one of us is here for. Like we're each here to create something new that's never existed before. And with that comes a huge amount of responsibility that even on a nervous system level, you know, never mind the mental level, but like nervous system body level, most people are so cut off from their body, from their energy system that it's overwhelming. It's like confronting beyond the point of understanding to even feel like, wow, what's it like when I'm actually like in touch with my emotions and with my energy and with my intuition, it would be, you know, overwhelming. It would be like the experience of being maybe fried, having your circuits fried, you know, people having these like 
kundalini awakening type experience it's like a death right that's also like a kind of death Mm -hmm. yeah of course it is i mean i think we die i like this thought of like dying you know every day it's like i'm not the same person i was yesterday i'm definitely going to be different tomorrow like especially now the rate at which we're all processing energy like we're receiving so much information so much light like the frequency of the planet the schumann resonance we want to measure it it's like it's just, we're getting blasted. You know, our bodies are shifting. Our cells are shifting. Everything's opening, whether we like it or not. We're all becoming more sensitized. It's going to become more and more painful to try to hold on to the old way, to just orient reality from this little box, from any box. I feel this is inevitable. And it's like, how are we providing space? I don't even want to say that. I guess what I hear mostly is like, but my personal... <laughs> directive right now feels like, how am I being permission? How am I being an example of what it's like to communicate my truth in a way that is clear and just is authentic? And and, and then to practice like not taking personally the impact that that may have on other people. Like an example that comes up is at the beginning of the pandemic, I saw this great meme and it just really spoke to me and I wrote a big post about it. And it was like the same people that create the illness, sell you the pill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that feels true. That feels totally mm-hmm. true. And I wrote a whole long thing and I wrote some of the intuitive insights that I saw coming over the next year with like disclosures and many of which did in fact happen disclosures about Hollywood and different dark agendas in the media and government and just all the distortions, right. That have always been a part of our world, but have just been glossed over with different stories that we're all distracted by, or like you said, we're distracted in the consumption of these like mm-hmm. superficial social games and whatnot. And, you know, I got so much attention for that post, like, and so much negative attention, even from really good mm. friends. One of my best friends was so hurt she was like, this is so irresponsible. You need to take this down. Like you're in a position of influencing people and this is dangerous information. Someone said, this is violent. I'm shocked that you would ever, you know, and this is just me expressing my course, truth, truth yeah. without any agenda, you know, without saying like, you need to agree with me. Just, mm-hmm. just like yeah. pretty objective for what I believe and what I feel. And I received so much negative Well, people were just really triggered, actually. That's what it was. People were very triggered, even very close friends that I've known for a long time. And it brought up a lot for me, like, wow, like this is, in some cases, it it actually hurt my feelings. And it brought up the classic empath wound of like, you know, I care what you think because I want you to love me. And I want you to know that my intention, you know, all the proving and the validation seeking and the explaining, justifying. And I'm like, wow, that's exhausting. I can't go there. And then I realized like, wow, people just aren't really ready to like source their own truth. So they're still looking out here for other people to tell them what to believe. And, you know, but in this realm of safety and this realm of what's still acceptable. I'm happy that you say say that because often I have this discussion with more progressive people that, you know, they, they always talk about hate speech and being triggered, et cetera. But the reason why I defend speaking your truth so much is because when you speak your truth, not with the intention to hurt, but to express yourself, when you're triggered, you can learn from your triggers to deepen yourself and find some personal responsibility, some stories there. You can always mm-hmm. take personal responsibility how you react to a situation. And when someone speaks their truth, I might not agree, but how I respond, my responsibility, well, how I interpret it is on my part. So to silence somebody else just for speaking their truth, I think that is like very hateful thing to do with speech. I'm not advocating for speech for people to just agree with what I say. That would be very convenient. No, I know it's very freeing. And one of the most disappointing things in people is that they never felt listened to. They could never speak their mind. So if again, you're going to attack people just for speaking their mind, that's again, reinforcing those patterns that a person feels like, I don't matter. My voice doesn't matter at all. Like I have to be someone else than I am. And everybody listening to this, they know how painful that is. It's just fascinating. Like there's so many sub layers of the of games being played, you know, on our way to really learn to be effective in communicating what is true. And then like having just, just being present and not caring 
this is like one of my biggest shadows in growing edges is caring what people think and, and sourcing what people think of me as a point of my value. Right. And wow. And it's amazing how this whole experience has brought up the perfect triggers for my core wounds mm. to, to deal with. It's like, wait a minute, truth, truth above everything else. And I was triggered by that experience of people reacting to me differently. I posted another thing on Facebook a long time ago and I got so much feedback, like hundreds and hundreds of comments, like so much criticism. I think I wrote something to the effect of like, you know, and it wasn't even a direct comment on the whatever's happening, but it felt people took it like that. It was hilarious. They're like, you know, I wrote, illness can affect you at a certain frequency. Like if your energy field in your body is oriented, this is scientifically proven, by the way, if your energy field in your body is tuned to a certain frequency to above a certain level of Hertz, illness cannot coexist. Disease cannot coexist in the body. Well, I also have seen this in energy healing and in my own experience healing, you know, cysts and things in my body, like literally heal, like miracle, we would call miracle healing, but it's, normal. Like it's an energy game. Like I understand this directly and I put this out there and so many people were like, this is so dangerous. Same thing, actually, you know, this is violent. This is irresponsible. All kinds of stuff. People were even like bringing in all these other angles of projection. I'm just like, how does that have anything to do with what I said? But it was just this, you know, zooming out, it's like, wow, people are really threatened and triggered when being confronted with their power, with the level of responsibility that they actually hold, that they've been, you know, ignoring essentially or disassociating from. It's like, because basically when we say like, hey, disease doesn't stay in the body at a certain frequency. So yeah, what like what you said, how are you raising your frequency? How are you taking care of yourself? How healthy are you? How's your immunity? How's your emotional health? How's your well-being? How's your connection? How are you feeling? How you dare know, you, you tell me a story where I can actually empower myself and not be a victim? How dare yeah. you give me the tools that I can work on it? I can rather stay in a place that I don't have anything and I feel helpless. Damn you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's easier. And, and supposedly, it doesn't really feel easier. It feels way more taxing and draining to like fight someone and be in combativeness and defending someone else's belief system that's like doesn't feel true. But for some reason, like that's the game that we're transcending right out of the victim victim consciousness into creator, into responsible creator here to make an impact, here to speak one's truth, here to be authentic, no matter what, you know, it's just been, it's been really bizarre to hold space for that. Like the times I have shared, oh, another time I wrote this thing, I didn't even think about it being a, you know, controversial thing, but people are so fucking sensitive right now. It's hilarious. (laughs) I wrote some posts. I wrote some like arbitrary thing. I thought I had really no thought about it. And it was like, wow, people wearing masks, driving alone in their car. What an interesting choice. That's like wearing a condom and you're sleeping by yourself in your bed, just in case. But hundreds of people like were commenting like all these projections and all these like, like people have the right to like wear their masks, wherever they want. I'm just like, oh my God. I was just like, eat popcorn like watching this bizarre people are like getting into fights like in the comments like it was so weird (laughs) what kind of advice would you give because i often have this with uh uh, female clients and females in general when you're someone who's uh, codependent when you're someone who's enmeshed when you're someone who's a people pleaser how can you speak your truth and still align with it while still having the empathy towards people and taking their reaction, I wouldn't say triggered, but their reaction into account. It all comes down to presence. It's just like the game of codependency and enmeshment. It's another iteration of victim because it's dependency. It's addiction. It's needing something outside of yourself to feel blank. It's outsourcing your power. And it's oftentimes very much played in the realm of the past and the future, right? It's like, holding on to these different identity structures that are very reliant on control of what's happening in the future to feel safe and secure in that future moment, or, you know, to control someone's image of you based on your past ways of being and versus in presence, if you're actually here, present with your breath, nervous system is stable, able to process energy and emotions effectively, able to really effectively respond beyond trigger and see clearly and objectively like what's actually happening for you, those games go away. 
And usually you find if you were in a codependent, and I have this experience in my past relationships, like if you were in a codependent or a mesh relationship with someone, even in a subtle way, when you really come into presence, you may find that actually, wow, that person, you start to see them clearly, see yourself clearly, and it doesn't actually feel good. It actually feels like there's kind of a charge that's very uncomfortable, that's very... um. You know, and you might even physically see that person differently too after coming into presence. Like, oh, actually, wow, that doesn't, that's not feeling supportive at all. And actually, you find that in most codependent or enmeshed relationships, there's a trauma bond. There's some kind of a charge of energy that is attracting people to one another to stay in that victim traumatized loop because it's kind of like, talk about addiction. It's like, you know, stirring up those familiar chemicals that even if they're stressful or agitating, feel familiar. Our body may have developed somewhat of an addiction to. You could maybe clarify the difference between codependence and enmeshed. I think personally, I have more of an enmeshed uh, reaction. Like uh, codependency often is more people-pleasing behavior, but I have some pattern there with enmeshment that the energy or emotions of my partner hugely affect how I feel. And if they feel Mm -hmm. a certain way, I have to fix it or it, it has my total focus because I'm very uneasy as long as that porter is not in the right mental state or I project certain things that she does on myself, shame, blame myself, and then it depletes me, which I think is more an enmeshment spectrum. I understand that one well too. When we're in relationship, especially when we're in a sexual relationship with someone, our nervous systems, our fields get very linked up. So it's very common to be feeling, you know, we get... a empathic we get more highly attuned and empathic to the fields that we're sharing with someone that we're co-creating with them you may even find that if you go through a healing process of some kind your partner is impacted can feel that you know it's it's everything is a shared experience so when it comes to the emotional maturity component which i think is what you're speaking to there comes a higher level of responsibility to understand what is mine what is my emotional experience what is my energy and what is another's, right? And we get to cultivate more discernment and this experience of sovereign union, right? Which is, I'm here in my whole and complete integrated field, understanding my emotions and what is mine. And it's very clear for me to understand what is not mine, but to also hold space for in love and compassion and empathy for what you're experiencing. But as an objective mirror, as a space holder, not taking on anything, not taking on the responsibility for you because it's actually quite unfulfilling. I find when we try to fix or resolve other people's issues, it's very disempowering because ultimately I think the true expression of love is to trust someone else to have responsibility over their own life, over their own emotions, to let them be on their own path fully and make their own choices. This is also what we're all learning together now too. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm learning that more to leave room for people and to be like in a committed relationship because when you have like enmeshment and something goes wrong and there's a lot of shame and blame from the past, sometimes you have this pattern. I had this pattern like, okay, I better be by myself. Then I can control it or, you know, like I will never find someone. I will just be a hermit and deal with things myself, which is safe, but pretty lonely, you know? Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I mean, it it all starts with your upbringing and your parents, right? We learn all of these strategies very, very early on. Sometimes even when we're still in the womb, and in my case, like all of the imprints of all the ways we'll get into our different attachment strategies happen between age zero, one, two, three, four. And then we're, you know, we grow up as adults, but a lot of us have, you know, we're not conscious to these uh, initial energetic imprints, which inform all of our relational strategies until we start waking up and then working on presence or I call it like attunement, like subtle attunement to one's energy system and starting to bring into the light these strategies of deflection or projection or disconnection, detachment when things get uncomfortable. You know, and we all have these. These are like universal human experiences. What you just said is like so common. I relate to that. I have a slightly different strategy that I developed to survive my family, but it like this is the work like this is how we move into emotional and energetic responsibility and mastery and then we can really be in i think a whole new type of relationship i think that's part of what is also underway through this whole experience 
we're literally being primed to have new, completely new dimensions of relationship. Like what is a sovereign union? What is it like to be in an actual true partnership where both are sovereign beings with emotional maturity and mastery and then meeting in that overflow. I blame the spiritual community a lot by overvaluing the feminine and castrating the masculine because they always talked about the divine feminine and we can talk about the patriarch or whatever, but they were always minimizing the masculine and it's a beautiful union between the divine feminine, but also the divine masculine. And when I see now how women are more in their masculine and I see more women fighting for freedom right now, and I see a lot of castrated men right now, not fighting, I can also see the effect of the spiritual correctness that they did by just focusing on how can we create better men by men just being more feminine. They can be more in touch with their emotions, etc. But for me, it was always a one-sided solution that a lot of people in the spiritual community gave which was purely based on feminine standards. And there is also a healthy, powerful, strong masculine that is also needed. And that is not based on authoritarianism. Yeah, completely agree with you. I would love to see more examples of truly divine masculine. We have a lot of examples out there in our media and government and just all in our world of like the toxic, very disempowered masculine. Like I would say the like traditionally taught like kind of social idea of like, masculine it's like not healthy it's not divine do you see somewhere the divine feminine also in the politics and the media i feel like there's a there's been such a stark imbalance like there's been the feminine feels like it's been eradicated from our society and our institutions for many many centuries that we've been in this like hyper extremist expression of unhealthy masculine in every part of our of our lives, which involves also a disconnection from the body, from the spirit, like totally disassociated from nature, you know, all of these things. So in a way, there's a tipping of the scales and maybe it's had to be this extreme focus on the feminine and bringing that back. But you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, it's a balance. It's an integration and, you know, and and to look within ourselves too, to empower for every single being beyond our physical gender identity. What is my relationship to my inner masculine, to my inner feminine? And how are these two relating within me in a really healthy, loving way? Well, one thing for me that is so paradoxical is that most of the radical feminists, they look very masculine, they ask very masculine, and their definition of success is based on masculine standards. When you go to the radical feminists, not the old school feminism, they're mostly not advocating for femininity or feminine principles. They just want like, we want to do the same and achieve the same as men. Doesn't this all come back to people honoring their truth and not falling into the projections of like, sometimes if you really don't like something, you're still giving it a lot of energy mm-hmm. and you can end mm-hmm. up actually becoming a projection of the thing that you don't like or the thing that you want yeah. to avoid or the thing that you're resisting, which I think is what you're speaking to. Like, I don't like men but you're giving so much energy to this. I don't like patriarchy. And then your physical embodiment turns into being exactly that, which you're giving so much energy to not liking or resisting. And maybe all of that is, you know, welcome to be shifted as people are more empowered to actually tune into, you know, beyond what you dislike and what you don't want to be, what do you want to be? What are you choosing to be? What are you choosing to experience? What do you believe? What do you want instead? And what is your truth? Instead of orienting in these like projections and different resistances that kind of just keep us in these same loops. I have a quote that says, if all you see is the enemy, you become the enemy. And just as we talked about the fact that people don't want to take personal power, they want to blame, they want to shame, they want to point fingers. It's the same thing. It's an anti-mentality. It's a negative mentality of getting your mentality from not being something. While choosing for something, taking ownership, it's putting the power in your hands. It's actually achieving it. But we are in a very destructive, pointing fingers, victim mentality. And I'm saying like, you know, (laughs) take personal responsibility, speak your truth, make an impact, whatever it is, you know, take the personal power, create connections with yourself and other people. That, That way you will create the best society, create the best immune system, take care of other people, taking care of yourself is the best way to take care of other people if you start with that. Yep. No drop. <laughs> Could you talk a bit about spiritual bypassing and what it is? 
Yeah, well, it's just bypassing in general is, I would say, avoiding avoiding something you know you have to look at because it's uncomfortable. You know, avoiding an aspect of your shadow or avoiding a part of your experience that is kind of in your face to take responsibility for, to deal with, to feel, to process, to acknowledge, but that you avoid it because it just feels too uncomfortable or that you have such an ego identity invested in, you know, maintaining that somehow there is that piece to the puzzle keeps your ego in place. So, you know, you're prioritizing this false self really and the survival of this false identity beyond, you know, meeting your truth, taking responsibility for what you're supposed to grow through. And I think we also sometimes have a, people who always want to be positive or not so positive about the negative. And sometimes you need the negative to go through things because I don't know if it was with you, but a lot of people, they had to have a dark night of the soul. They had to hit rock bottom to change their life. And I love a quote by Kyle Sees who says, don't take away the power of people hitting their personal low. It's what got you to where you are in the first place. And I think we have a very uncomfortable relationship with that, but it's needed sometimes. Yeah. I have those all the goddamn time still. I had some really big ones that like big one. Yeah. I mean, I was going to die. I was so into drugs and alcohol and like Mm. ruining my body and putting myself in danger. I was going to die. And I needed a really loud wake up call to get sober and start to choose to live. I think I wanted to die for a long time. It's not, it wasn't that fun being on earth and feeling so much and just feeling like a total, like, I do not belong here. Take me to my home planet. You know, like, what am I doing here? And then, you know, on the path, when you stop bypassing and you start to develop resources to meet these shadow aspects, to meet the traumas, to meet the repressed emotions, to let go of the ego, to shed the layers of the bullshit that are just covering up what's true more and more and more. I think it's an infinite journey. The dark nights of the soul are pretty frequent, but they're not as dramatic. They can like happen in like a couple hours or like maybe sometimes a day, sometimes in a moment, but we develop a resiliency to face it. And just like death, you know, the cycle of death and rebirth, it's like, it's not so different. Like these shadow waves come through and we handle it and we develop more strength. And it's not something to even be afraid of. It's like, oh, this is a normal part of my body and spiritual process and it's a process right there must be some nights that you know higher or deeper level sydney whispered like you could do better why are you doing this you should start this you should stop doing this you (laughs) just a little time just a little bit more maybe next week i'm gonna quit next when it's my birthday yeah Yeah. well at a certain point i think if you start to open up to your you know, intuition and abilities. And, you know, we all have so many multidimensional abilities and access and gifts and telepathy. And so much is coming online for humanity as we clean out all this density. It's so exciting, actually. Like it feels, I'm so optimistic about our future. And when you start to open up more listening, it's like, it's not just your higher self. It's like, I have like whole committees of support and they're like, yeah, totally. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you And there's so much insight, so much insight and so many more like depths of layers to navigate and coming into greater understanding and acceptance of yourself and more love of yourself as you are. And I I mean, I'm really, that's like my, one of my biggest wounds that I've come into this life to alchemize is around unconditional love for myself, unconditional from anything outside, from what other people think from just that whole game and rewiring, like what is true self-love? And I'm finding that the more that I build that muscle for self-love and self, you know, valuing myself unconditionally and trusting myself, the truth becomes louder and louder. My truth as I experience it and feel it becomes louder and more clear and more prominent. And it's just it's just right here and you can't avoid it. And there is no bypassing like true self-love, truly caring for yourself requires full responsibility for what arises. There can be no abandonment or avoidance of what is showing up in your path to work through. I just came back from travel and I'm tuning in deeper into my why and 
I don't want to make it about me anymore. I'm not going to make it about my mission, which partly is about helping people who are younger than me and a bit like me. And I wish that I would have had it when I was young. And I'm looking like, what would be some tools that I could have given young Philip? You know, what are some first ways how he can get his life together and get on track? And I've been like noting it down in terms of like getting away from the environment that is holding you back, using your time more productively, change your body, develop a skill. Read some books about a topic that you know you want to learn more about. It can be meditation, positivity, whatever happiness. What do you think is a good starting point when you're crawling out of rock bottom? And what are some tools or practices you should do that young Sydney could have used? Well, I wrote a book about all that called The Empath Experience, What to Do When You Feel Everything. And it's the book that I wish I had when I was born. It's the book I wish I had when I got sober. It's the book I wish I had when I was 14 years old and I started drinking and doing drugs because I was so overwhelmed with how I felt and felt really hopeless and wanted to turn everything off. So that book actually includes all the practices and all the different kinds of techniques for meditation and energy work. And yeah, that's really it. And then, you know, right now it's like, I'm all about simplicity, but I, my biggest advice to anybody would be to cultivate some kind of a daily practice. We're all getting blasted with energy now, like inundated with so much light. And it is so important to cultivate some kind of practice, any kind of practice. It doesn't have to be like seated meditation or yoga or all these things we're conditioned to believe or like spiritual practice. Being a human is a spiritual practice. That's like one of my favorite things I've ever heard. It's like, you're already spiritual. You're a human, like you're a spirit in this form and find a practice for you that you do every day that feels grounding, that helps you to feel connected, that helps you to feel maybe even inspired, that just feels good. That could be breathing, dancing, writing, being in nature, but something that you do consistently, that you make into a ritual. I think so much of the part of our our challenge with the way our, our society has been structured over these last few hundred years has been not only a disconnection from nature, but a disconnection from ritual. We are spiritual beings. We need ritual. We need ceremony. We need intentionality in our lives. So much of this has been stripped away in order for structures to control us and disempower us. So a way to take your power back is to create ritual and intention and ceremony in your life to honor your being. I think also that simplicity is, I don't know if I'm sensitive, hypersensitive, but I'm definitely sensitive to sound. But sometimes other people don't understand why you're so sensitive or moody or triggered in that physical way. You know, there still is not a lot of understanding for people who are very sensitive or to the noise, you know, I mean, besides buying your book, what advice would you give for people who get so much input or so overstimulated that they find it hard to just calm down because the world is so loud and so bright and so distracting? Yeah, I understand. And, you know, our world, the way that our nervous systems are conditioned, which is really the center of everything in our physical reality is our nervous system, right? And we're literally conditioned to be in fight or flight, to be in a traumatized, activated state. And that is a massive deprogramming. That is a massive rewiring that we're all invited to really consider deeply. And it's a different path for every single person's body. It's completely unique to you. But it's something that we must become aware of and take responsibility for, especially if you feel hypersensitive and empathic and there's a lot of input coming in. And the tendency, especially the socially conditioned one, would be to numb out, would be to go numb out binge watching or scrolling on social or drinking or smoking weed or whatever it is. And from my experience, that doesn't work because there's just not enough. At a certain point, there's not enough to turn it off. And you might catalyze the dark night of the soul. Maybe that's what it takes. But I always like to say, like, the bottom is when you stop digging. Like, it doesn't have to get worse. (laughs) And what I think people can, you know, consider is, like, am I... Am I willing? Am I willing to start to take care of myself in a different way? Do things really need to get worse in order for me to feel this urgency to connect and to take care of myself and to take responsibility for my nervous system? Usually at the beginning of that process, there is kind of this wake-up call of like, 
I actually can't be around certain people. They're really negative and it feels so draining and exhausting to be around them. Those people might be your family. And that might feel really vulnerable to admit. Like, actually, I just as an empath, that's people. not empathic. I can't do that because that's not. Well, there you go. Well, there's all the stuff to work on. Then all the codependency stuff is going to come up. And and but you know that was my experience when I got sober, and all my you know systems were just haywire. And I started to develop more stability. It's like right away, clean out your your field and your environment and your relationships. You're going to see. Like, wait a minute. I can't be around these people. I can't go to this place because I feel agitated and drained and I need to take care of myself. My energy system is the most important part of my life. My most important part of my experience that informs my whole reality. And so you get to really take, you get to put yourself first. What's it like to treat yourself like you're the most important person in your life? Mostly if you've been empathic and hypersensitive, you've been putting a lot of people before you. And so that's like the step one is what is it like to put yourself first and start to really take your power back and ask, you know, what do I need in this moment to feel supported and start to prioritize that as a way of being before you do anything else, before you create anything else. Yeah, for me, the first step that I talked about the personal responsibility is more the outside structure going from out to the in, the habits, the routine, the body, etc. But to speak the truth is more finding your core values and find your personality. Become aware of who you are. You have a gift, you have a strength, you have a weakness. You can sync with people and knowing who you are, that will also show you your path and your gifts. That just as when I stepped away from the environment that was holding me back, I don't know if you had the same when you became sober, instead of your friends saying like, oh my God, Sydney, I'm so happy for you. I'm so inspired you got sober. I'm going to do the same. They were like, oh, you're acting weird. And I felt strange. And I feel they weren't supporting my growth. And I was being in a better place. And I thought I would inspire them. So I kind of had to leave that ground. I was partying and going out because that's where I saw my friends. But I'm much more introverted in nature. I like deep talks like I have with you right now. It was like, damn, I spent so much time trying to be in person that I'm not naturally at, not choosing myself. Yep. I completely relate. I was like way more comfortable being in a nightclub with really loud music, with not really being able to hear anybody, but it all looked very cool. That was kind of my part of my rock bottom was like being a vampire in New York City in nightclubs with a lot of drugs and just hanging out with people that were so superficial and not real connection because I was actually terrified of intimacy. I had no capacity I had no intimacy with myself. I was, you know, not here fully. And yeah, when I got sober, I, it was a rapid change. I went from that to like AA meetings and like <laughs> totally different friends and just like a lot more alone time. I used to be terrified of being alone. I think that's something a lot of people are coming to terms with through this whole experience with the pandemic too, is like actually being alone with yourself and how scary that can be because then you're like with yourself. And there's no distractions and you're feeling and you're sensing more and, and maybe there's some self-hatred there and maybe there's some self-loathing and there's frustration. And I know that was for me, I hated myself and I really had to sit with that and it was terrifying and I couldn't meditate. I couldn't be alone. And I learned to meditate in groups. I had to go to a group to feel supported, to feel safe, to actually get quiet. My mind would be attacking me constantly it was like a crazy person you know pretty much thought mosquitoes yeah Yeah, i had always but that was but that was the way and i i'm always curious as to like i mean i find in the people that i work with like you know tend to attract really similar like experiences i guess and those who are called to work with me and they have a very loud negative self-critic playing in there but then i meet other people too who are like i don't even have an inner voice or i don't I'm always curious about what people's inner experience is with that. You know, I know it's not the same for everybody. Besides sentence completion, I find voice dialogue a very interesting technique because then you can see the roles that are in your head and that have the front stage and the backstage. And you can have an interaction with them and see the patterns and the stories that they play out and the needs that they have. Everybody is a bit schizophrenic that way, that they're sometimes possessed by this role with the script that just plays things out. Yeah, totally. A last question that I have for you, because I'm a spiritual person. Sometimes I'm a love with a heady person. What is 5D? And why did you always skip from 3D to 5D? I almost never hear something about 4D. 
<laughs> you know, I think I, I started using that term before I even really understood. Like sometimes things just get downloaded to me before I really understand them, but they, they just resonate. So 5D is the fifth dimension. And this is a dimension of consciousness that now we really have very clear access to on Earth. Earth itself is a fifth dimensional planet. This, the energy of fifth dimension is the energy of presence. It's a, it's a dimension of pure presence beyond time, beyond space, beyond limitation, beyond thought, beyond belief, beyond identity, beyond personality. It's a feeling of receiving allowing, flowing, circulating, kind of this like continuum. I would just call it presence to simplify. Now, third dimension is kind of what we all came into earth in. And that is the energy of a lot of the victim consciousness that we talked about, duality, polarity, opposites, separation, boxes, labeling, identity structures that really are invested in like knowing what things are called and how everything fits in hierarchy, uh, a lot of density, a lot of control, some like constriction. Fourth dimension is kind of this bridge in between. So we're still playing with elements of the 3D, but we're, we're sinking a little bit more into 5D, but we're still very much in the intellectual. We're still very much in the naming and the belief structures and the investment in like identity and uh, control and seeing things in boxes. But I would say a little bit more flowy in terms of time, more able to get into flow states, higher access to presence. Whereas in fifth dimension, I feel like I have access to all dimensions because in presence, we really have access to everything. So it's like 5D and above, I kind of group all together. We have kind of the launch pad into universal consciousness energy that's how i understand it and why we don't really talk about fourth dimension well i guess because it's just more exciting to make the quantum leap from three to five d and it's like 4d is kind of like this bridge just a bridge in between we're we're very much collectively like on that bridge right now and it's very awkward and it's a transitional place it's it's awkward and it's about a lot of dying a lot of letting go a lot of detaching and and realizing and admitting that we don't know. I don't know. And that I don't know gets us into presence. I don't know. So what's right here? Instead, something new is happening. If people want to know more about you and your 5D program, where can they check out more about uh, all the work you're doing? Just on my website. It's a great place. Uh, SydneyCampos.com. And as a visionary, I think we also now entered the age of Aquarius. I don't know how much you're uh, aligned with astrology. What is some future or vision that you see on the short term and the long term intuitively time is so funny yeah we're <laughs> it's like we came in with this urgency for this lifetime to just create so many new things and so much has already been created and then i continually get the reminder that you know this is like a twenty thousand year cycle like it's beyond this lifetime a lot of us in this generation we're pioneering we're like kind of the ground crew we're laying the groundwork for the next 20,000 years, if we could imagine. But we're playing a very important role. A lot of us are, we're positioned to see things very, very differently than anyone. And it's so important for us to listen to that unique vision that we do have as the visionary that we are. We see the future that we're here to create that doesn't exist yet. We can literally see it and no one else can see it. And so we're meant to build these really unique pieces that again, are going to set the foundation for the next 20,000 years. It's a totally different planet. And I'm so optimistic for what's to come. I feel like this experience of the last year and a half, two years has been a dark night of the soul or an invitation into a dark night of the soul for many that would otherwise just stay asleep or bypass or, you know, a lot of people are waking up now. And it feels like this critical mass of more awakening, more dropping into the body, more attuning to truth people getting more sensitized to what is true for them and what is right for them. And more harmony is going to be unfolding as a result. I sense by the end of next year, 2022, this might sound radical, but I've just seen it again and again and in sessions and in my own, you know, transmissions, like 
I wouldn't be surprised if we had a completely new governance structure. And I've always seen it as a global governance system, like not the UN, but something else, like some kind of a new. And I do see it happening that fast because I see it corresponding with the new monetary system. And I think that will be a cryptocurrency-based system. We're already seeing that unfolding. I see a collapse of the traditional banking system happening over the next year and a half. I think by 2023, 2024, we're looking at a completely different society in terms of the institutions that we already have in place. And it does feel that fast. It does feel like we're able to architect these things. I think some of them are already underway. We just are not allowed to know about them yet. But a lot of these types of systems have already been being architected for the last five, 10 years by the visionaries that saw this time coming. This has been prophesized about for a very long time. That's not surprising. This is what's been required. And I see all kinds of new systems. I mean, new education system, right? We see that falling apart. It's like, okay, what are the new schools we're going to make for these awakened children that like the old model just doesn't work? You know, we're going to see more people living off the grid and moving into more sustainable community back to kind of like the tribal model and our cities are going to be redesigned to be more sustainable and more connected to nature. It just all feels really good when I tune into it. And I see so much new technology, like awesome technology. I know there's the transhumanism AI argument. I don't really see that unfolding on the mass level. I, I see, I actually see a lot of those technologies developing in a really positive way that, you know, outsources labor, outsources, automates labor to high technology so that people are able are afforded the opportunity to have more freedom to decide what it is they want to do, not what they have to do. We're, we're going to have a redistribution of wealth. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. It's not going to be like the government. It's not going to be mm-hmm. like the government saving people and bailing people out. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a currency type of thing where people are invited to make investments and then a lot of wealth is redistributed through that platform. And then there's going to be more financial freedom so that our whole idea of work uh, changes and it's going to be more connected to gift. And what is it that you're here to give? What is the unique talent that you're here to contribute? And that everybody is more supported in living that way. And I just see a lot of thriving. I see a regeneration of the oceans, of the planet, of, you know, like reversing all the air pollution. All these things are already being developed, by the way, like eating all the plastic out of the ocean and heaven on earth. That's why I came here. I'm going to cross my fingers that it that's future. It definitely ended the podcast on a positive note and with a smile. Thanks for taking the personal responsibility of having that dark night of the soul and uh, shedding a bit light in the soul and providing future visionaries who make an impact. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast, Sydney. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.